At this point, I'll go ahead and dismiss all of the children to Kids Church. As the horde of ankle biters are exiting, uh, we have lots of, uh, several of Natalie's family that's here this morning for for Anna's baptism. Uh, I think last year at this time, I was preaching out of the book of Matthew. The year before that, at this time, I was preaching out of the book of Matthew. Uh, I'm still preaching out of the book of Matthew. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 24. We've been walking through for the last Three years or so, uh, the book of Matthew, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, it is my intention uh, to finish the book of Matthew by Easter. That is my goal, uh, that we by Easter time we will finish the book of Matthew. Uh, I can't promise that I will hit my goal, uh, but we will certainly strive to finish the book of Matthew by Easter. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. <clears throat> I've titled my message, Are You Ready? And... As we talk about this text, uh, this text is, is one of those texts that as you read it, uh, you, you ask yourself, okay, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the second coming? Is he talking about the end of the world? Is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? And, and regardless of, of your eschatological viewpoint, regardless of, whether, uh, of what your position is on the end times, God calls us to be ready. He calls us to be ready to go to meet the Lord. The reality is is that many of us will go to meet the Lord before the second coming of Christ. We don't know when that day will be. The scripture tells us that all of our days are numbered. And we can walk out of this building today. And today can be the day that we go to meet the Lord. We can get in a car accident. We can go to sleep and not wake up. And so the question this morning is, are you ready? Let's read Matthew chapter 24, verses 13 through 31. Matthew chapter 24, verses 13 through 31. Jesus tells his disciples, But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on housetop not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and those who, are nurse, those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. 
If therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or behold, he is in the inner room, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it is true and that it is faithful. We thank you that you alone are Lord. God, we pray this morning that we would see your gospel in this text, the good news in this text. Lord, and that we would be ready to meet Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I want to preface my message this morning by saying, in order for us to rightly understand this text, there's going to be a bit of history that I have to tell you about this text, um, that I have to tell you about the, the ancient world, about, about Jerusalem and at, uh, in the days of Christ. And so, so I'll ask for just a little latitude as we lay the groundwork for understanding this text. It's important that we understand that the Bible has one and only one meaning. That the book of Matthew was written to a specific audience by a specific author with a specific theme in mind to convey a specific truth. And while the Bible may only have one and only one meaning, the Bible may have many applications, many ways in which we can apply it to our lives. But as we understand the Gospel of Matthew, we understand that the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. And the book of Matthew was written to the Jews, to the Jewish people. And the book of Matthew was written to present Jesus as the son of David, as the fulfillment of prophecy. And so in order for us to understand the context of Jesus' message here, we have to understand what's going on in the world at that time. Now Jesus has just spent two whole chapters, Matthew chapter 22 and Matthew chapter 23, addressing the Pharisees. And addressing, uh, telling them that, that, that what you thought was going to get you to heaven is not going to get you to heaven. That following the law is not the way to get to heaven. That, that the prostitutes and the, the tax collectors, they're going to enter into heaven before you are. And now he takes his disciples aside. And he said, I've just spent two whole chapters dealing with the Pharisees. Now let me deal with you. Now let me talk to you. And let me prepare you for what is coming. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. This is during the Passion Week. This is during the, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. He knows that in just a few short days that he's going to hang up on a cross and he's going to be buried in a borrowed tomb and he is going to be, he is going to be gone. He's going to raise from the dead and then he's going to ascend into heaven and he is going to leave his disciples and he is going to leave them in charge of 
the, the dissemination of the gospel. He is going to charge them with, with bringing the gospel, bringing the message, bringing, bringing the good news of grace to the entire world. And so he knows that he is about to give them a monumental task. And he knows that they are going to be persecuted. He knows that every one of his disciples will be martyred. Every one of them with the exception of John. And the only reason John is not martyred is because they couldn't kill him. They tried, put him in a vat of boiling oil, he just wouldn't die. And so John is the only apostle that was not martyred. Peter was crucified upside down. We see many of the, we see John Mark, the author of the book of Mark, was drawn and quartered. We see many of the disciples who were stoned or beheaded or hanged or crucified. Every one of the apostles would suffer persecution. And so Jesus is preparing them for what is going to take place. Now, I want to back up and let you know just a little bit about history that was going on in this time. Look at the, look at the context. Look at verse 15. Let's just see this. Jesus makes mention, Jesus makes mention of the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks about. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. So Jesus is calling the disciples back to the prophecy of Daniel, who was prophesying and who was living during the exile, during the time whenever Israel whenever Judah was under the Babylonian captivity, was under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And during that time, Daniel prophesied that there is coming a time whenever there will be a pagan king, a pagan ruler who will desecrate the sacred temple of God. And most scholars, most scholars believe that that took place in 168 B.C. during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. And everyone says, oh yeah, I remember that. This is, this event, this event led to, led to the Maccabean revolt, revolt during the intertestamental period. What happened is, Antiochus, the emperor, of the, Roman, uh, the emperor of the Roman Empire at that time, he went into the temple, the Jewish holy place, went into the temple in Jerusalem, and he took a pig, an unclean animal, and he slaughtered that pig on the altar in the holy place. On the Ark of the Covenant, in the altar of the holy place, this Roman emperor slaughtered a pig and desecrated that sacred place. And most scholars believe that in the book of Daniel, that is the abomination of desolation that Daniel is talking about. Now Jesus references this abomination of desolation, but then he talks about this, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, and so, so Jesus is calling them to remember when the temple was desecrated back in 168 B.C. Something similar is going to happen again. And under the reign of Nero, under the reign of Nero, about 40 A.D., during the apostolic age, Jesus has been crucified, he has been resurrected he has ascended into heaven he has charged his disciples to go into all the nations make disciples baptizing in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching to observe all that i have commanded lo i am with you always even to the age even to the end of the age and the disciples were spreading the good news of the gospel and nero comes into power and nero takes it upon himself 
to, to persecute the church. And during the reign of Nero, one of Nero's representatives, Flavus, is commanded by Nero to go into the temple of Jerusalem because Nero wanted to, to, to engage in this, this elaborate building program for the Roman Empire. And so he commanded Nero to go into the temple of God and steal from the temple, from Jerusalem, all of the treasures, all of the silver, all of the gold, all of the precious metal, in order for him to finance his building program. And so most scholars believe that the abomination of desolation that Jesus is referring to here is this act right here. This act of Nero began the revolt, the Jewish revolt in 66 AD, which would eventually lead to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus talks about, I want us to see in the text what Jesus is talking about, because most of us are going to read this text and we're going to think end times. We're going to think, we're going to think, you know, revelation. We're going to think uh, 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 angels coming out of heaven, trumpet sounds. And, and there is a, a future prophecy here, but there is also an immediate future prophecy, much like many of the Old Testament prophets. In 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7, whenever the, the prophecy is given about the son of David, there is an immediate future and a long-term future where the prophet speaks about the son of David building a house for God, talking about Solomon. And then whenever the prophet says, the son of David will sit on the throne of David for all of eternity, talking not about Solomon, but about Jesus. And so this is much similar, this is very similar to what we see there. There is an immediate, there is immediate prophecy, and there is a, there is a long-term prophetic utterance here. And so I want us to see that for the Jewish people, that this was a very immediate prophecy. Most prophecy... Over, over 80-90% of the prophecy in the New Testament is not foretelling, but forthtelling. It is not telling of things that are going to happen thousands and thousands of years ago, but things that are happening now for the, for the current audience. And so what is Jesus doing? He's preparing his disciples. He is preparing his disciples for what they are going to incur, what they are going to experience and what would they experience? Look at the text. When this happens, 66 AD, when the temple is desecrated, verse 15, 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Why? Because in 66 AD, the Jews would revolt. And when the Jews revolted, Rome would respond. And when Rome responds... It's not good for Jerusalem. When Rome responds, history tells us that in that short period of time from 66 AD to 70 AD, in the destruction of the temple, that Rome would cut off supplies of all of Jerusalem. And those who were left in Jerusalem would starve to death. Josephus, a Jewish historian, accounts that many Jews left in Jerusalem during the Jewish revolt resulted in cannibalism because they were literally starving to death and they were eating the flesh of their own family that had died. 
that they were thousands upon thousands of Jews that were dying daily. And that during the conquest of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, that as many as one million Jews died. Jesus makes the statement, verse 21, there will be such great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Jesus is saying, when this happens, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be a pretty sight. It is in your best interest to get out of Jerusalem because bad things are going to happen. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the imminence of what is taking place. And this tribulation was a direct reference to that revolt in 66 and the, con- and the, the conquest of Rome that would happen after 66 AD. And from this moment on, from, from the destruction of the temple, Christianity and Judaism would forever be separated. There was never, from, from that moment on, there was never a connection between Christianity and Judaism ever again. Because the Christians remembered the prophecy of Jesus. And they fled. And the only ones that were there were the Jews. The only ones that were there were the Jews. I want us to understand that this tribulation was both immediate and future. It says that the, trib- the, the, the scripture tells us that, that there would be, if, if you look at the text, look at verse 23. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 25. Behold, I have told you in advance. I am telling you this in advance. Verse 25, verse 26. If therefore anyone says to you, Christ is in the wilderness, don't go forth. Behold, he is in the inner room. Don't believe them. Verse 27. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. And Jerusalem would be where the corpses were. There would be where the vultures would gather. There would be where Rome would gather. But where was Christianity? Not in Jerusalem. It had gone out. After the destruction of the temple, after the destruction of temp- the, the temple, this is where we see the missionary journeys. This is where we, we see Paul go into Asia Minor. This is where we see the gospel spread to Europe. The gospel spread to North Africa. The gospel spread west. The gospel spread east. And if you look back at the text, if you look back at the text, verse 24, verse 14, you remember a couple of weeks ago, whenever the preacher stood up and he said, whenever there are wars and rumors of wars and famine and and earthquakes and volcanoes and natural disasters, that this is not the end, that Jesus said very clearly and very plainly that this is not the end, but what must take place? Look at verse 14. He says, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all of the world for a witness, and then the end shall come? Were it not for the destruction of Jerusalem, and were it not for the dispersion of all of the apostles, the gospel does not go forth. The gospel is not sent to the four corners of the earth, but it was. It was the providence of God and the sovereignty of God that destruction... And that persecution would come upon Jerusalem. Why? Because it is God's intention that the good news of the message of Jesus 
be sent to the four corners of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It started in Jerusalem, and then it went out to Samaria. And then it went out to the uttermost parts of the earth. It was was a, a proclamation. It was a scattering. The destruction of the temple began what I believe the Scripture talks about when it talks about the end of the age. I believe that the destruction of the temple, Pentecost, the destruction of the temple, the scattering of the apostles began the end of the age. And you say, well, preacher, we've been in the end of the age for 2,000 years. Yep. Go with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Peter. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3. It is clear through the writings of Paul. It is clear through the writings of the apostolic fathers. It is clear through the writings of all of the church that every generation, from Paul to Tertullian to Ignatius to Irenaeus to Augustine to Wycliffe to Calvin to Luther, that every generation believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They believed that the coming of Christ was imminent. And I believe that the coming of Christ is imminent. I believe that He is coming, and He is coming soon. But church, I don't want us to miss the truth of Scripture. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness but is patient, is long-suffering toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with an intense heat, and the earth and all of its works will be burned up. Church, I want us to understand that the coming of Christ is imminent. And it is incumbent upon us as the church to preach the gospel to all nations because the coming of Christ is imminent. The reality is that there are thousands of people groups, thousands of language groups, thousands of ethnic groups that have never heard of Jesus, that have never been reached, that don't have the Bible in their language, that have never had a missionary sent to them. And that's why it is so important that we as the church engage in missions and engage in sending and engage in in giving to missions because the gospel must be preached to all nations to usher in the coming of Christ. Jesus made it clear to his disciples that persecution was coming, that the end of the age was near. And what would the end of the age look like? It would look like martyrdom. It would look like death. It would look like destruction. We see under Nero that the Christians were literally burnt alive in the streets. Nero would put Christians on stakes. He would cover them in tar. And he would light them on fire to serve as streetlights amongst the the city square in Rome. 
during the Roman conquest, during the Roman Empire, Christians were sent into the Colosseum and torn apart by wild animals for sport. Under the reign of Domitian, Christians were killed by the thousands simply for naming the name of Christ. Under Diocletian, under Diocletian, he instituted something called the Great Tribulation, the Great Persecution, where the Christians were sought out and were killed simply for being Christians. Jesus is he is preparing his disciples that when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you give your life to Christ and follow him, that the world is going to hate you and the world is going to seek to destroy you. Look at 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter tells the church scattered throughout Asia Minor during the reign of Nero, as they are experiencing persecution, as they are being burnt alive, listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. You think Paul is using hyperbole? I'm sorry, Peter is using hyperbole? No. He's saying, hey, when they light you on fire, don't think that that's strange. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing that at the revelation of His glory, you may also rejoice with exaltation. Look at what, he, look at what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, all of those who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. He is preparing his disciples for the persecution because Peter's going to be crucified. Because John's going to be thrown in a pot of boiling oil. Because the disciples are going to be killed for their faith. John chapter 15, he tells them this. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we see this long discourse between Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he goes into this long discourse preparing them for the persecution that is imminent. Look what he says in John chapter 15, verse 18. He says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world... But because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There is a reality that those who are in Christ will be hated. That those who are in Christ will be persecuted. In Acts chapter 4, we see the, 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 the Jews, we see the Jews attack the Christians. And they tell them, they arrest Peter and they arrest John. And they tell them, they say, we want you to speak no more in this name of Jesus. We don't care about all the healings that you're doing. We don't care about all the, the, the prayers that you're offering. But speak no more in the name of Jesus. And if you speak about the name of Jesus again, we'll kill you. Persecution and tribulation was imminent for the church in the New Testament. And persecution and tribulation is imminent for the church today. It is imminent. It is real. In the Middle East, when the gospel is preached, they're killing Christians because the gospel is preached. In China, the church exists underground. It exists in secret because were it to exist in public, they would kill them. 
in India, where we'll be going in just a few short months. The gospel is being persecuted. You've heard Sam Thomas stand up here and talk about the multiple assassination attempts on his life, where a man put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger because he stands for Jesus. This is not something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago, but something that is happening now and today because the church stands for truth and the world hates truth. And in just a couple of days, our country is going to to go to the voting booths and we're going to have to choose between, between two bad choices, which is a symptom, which is a symptom of the depravity of our society. And the church, the church is what is coming under fire. The pastors and the the, the church are being told that you can no longer stand on the principles of the truth of God's word, that you can no longer call homosexuality sin, that you can no longer call fornication and immorality sin, that you you have to be politically correct. The church is under fire. The church is under persecution. And the only thing that is not tolerated is intolerance. Whenever we stand on truth and we say that what the Bible says is true and God's Word is true and there is only one way to salvation and it is not through the church and it is not through ritual and it is not through keeping the law but it is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and Him alone. It is by grace through faith alone. And whenever we stand up and we say that Buddhism, that, that Buddhism does not bring salvation, that Hinduism does not bring salvation, that the church does not bring salvation, that righteousness does not bring salvation, that being a good person does not bring salvation, the only thing that brings salvation is Jesus. The world hates that message. But persecution and tribulation is the crucible of faith. I want to point out that with the destruction of the temple, the focus of faith changes. In 70 AD, the focus of faith changed completely. For thousands and thousands of years, the focus of faith for the righteous had been the temple. It had been keeping the law of God, making sacrifices, making atonement, bringing your offerings to the temple. When the temple was destroyed, the focus of faith had to change. It had to shift. No longer was the temple made with hands, brick and mortar. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. In verse 31, I want to point point our mind back to the text. Jesus makes this statement. At the end of these proclamations, at the end of these predictions of persecution, Jesus says this, And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. What is that saying? I want us to understand that the Greek word for angel... And the Greek word for messenger is exactly the same. I believe 
that whenever Jesus made this statement, that God will send forth His messengers, that God will send forth His agents to declare, thus saith the Lord, that He is speaking of the disciples and the church being scattered after Jerusalem. Look, pull, pull that text back up, Chris. And he will send forth his messengers, his angels, with a great trumpet. What is the great trumpet? The message that they will proclaim. The message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And he calls us to have faith and trust in him and in him alone. The trumpet will sound and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from all four corners of the earth, that they will proclaim the message of the gospel and that people will be drawn to the message of the gospel from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group, that they will be drawn to Jesus and they will place their faith and trust in Jesus. And verse 31 connects us back to verse 14 when it says the gospel shall be preached to all nations and then the end will come. The message would change from look to the temple to look to Jesus. It will no longer be about the holy of holies. It will be about the holy one. It will no longer be about the holy place and a sacrifice. It will be about the sacrifice that was made on your behalf the penalty of sin that was paid for you. It would no longer be the old covenant, but the new covenant. Not a covenant of law, not a covenant of do this and you'll receive favor of God, not a covenant of of keep this law and God will be happy, not a covenant of don't do this and God won't be mad at you, but a new covenant. A covenant of grace, a covenant that says it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you will do, that God said, I love you, and I sent my son to pay the penalty for your sin. If you'll repent, if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll turn from your way of thinking, not about a temple, but about Jesus, and I'll come into your life, and I'll change you. The message of the gospel The message of Matthew chapter 24 is less about what's going to happen when Jesus comes and more about what has happened because Jesus came. That his death, his burial, and his resurrection purchased for us eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the persecution of the church. We thank you that because the church was persecuted, the gospel message spread. We thank you that because the temple was destroyed, the focus shifted to Jesus. We thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, you have given us the message of this gospel. God, may we be faithful. May we trust in who you are and what you've done. May we trust that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the chiefest of. And may we realize that our responsibility is to share that message 
to bring about the second coming of Christ. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, Jesus, come. Lord, this morning, as the gospel message is proclaimed, Lord, there are some here who've never trusted Jesus, who've trusted in the works of their righteousness, who've trusted in the church, trusted in their faith, trusted in in what they can do to garner the favor of God. But this morning, they realize for the very first time that the only thing that garners the favor of God is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, may we trust in Him and Him alone. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come. Come and be born again. Follow the Lord in obedience by being baptized. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart, may today be the day of salvation. God, may your Holy Spirit move in this place this morning as we worship you as the King of kings and Lord of kings. In Jesus' name we pray.